This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. Hey, this is a Future of What single. If you want to get the whole thing, visit our website at KillRockStars.com slash The Future of What. Support for The Future of What comes from Merch Table. Since 2002, Merch Table has operated and managed online stores for hundreds of successful musicians, record labels, comedians, artists, and small businesses. Big or small, set up shop today by visiting merchtable.com. My guest in studio today is the awesome Sierra Hager. Sierra, welcome back to the future of what? Thanks for having me. Yay. Yay. So I am having you here today because I keep getting similar things in my email and this one thing keeps coming back over and over again. And I thought I should address it on the air. I thought we should actually discuss it because it really seems to be one of those, what do you say, cultural stereotypes or myths or things that everybody just believes to be true. And that is that great music will naturally rise to the top. Now, I've had multiple emails recently and conversations with bands who basically are telling me, you need to put my record out. And if I explain to them, you know, it's like, well, we're not going to put your record out, but you could put your record out yourself. You know, they're like, well, really, all that needs to happen is, you know, someone needs to get behind us because we make the best music in the whole world. And when I explain to them that there's a lot of factors that go into people getting involved and the most important part being that they're not going to tour and they're not going to do any of the other stuff that they're supposed to do but they're just going to put their music on the internet like that's and they want me to do that for them they want me to pay to do that for them you know pay for the recording and everything which apparently is like completely by the way like that's not an important part of this equation bt dubs just looking for a recording budget yeah exactly nothing no big no big deal just like you know just like 10 or fifteen thousand. right so we just put it we put it out there and then great music will just rise to the top, right? So it'll be on the internet and people will listen to it. I don't know how. Uh And then they'll be like, oh my God, this is the greatest band that ever was. And I'm kind of being inarticulate about this because it just is such a bizarro concept to me, (laughs) but it's probably because I'm sure I thought the exact same thing when I was in the band 20 years ago. I thought that's how this worked. But also 20 years ago, there was no internet. So it was a different, it was very different world. We didn't think we could just like put a record Well, I mean, maybe we did. Maybe we thought if we made a record and we put it in a store, enough people would pass it by and see it sitting there and go, oh, that looks really interesting. I'm going to purchase this for $18. That's like a masterclass in marketing. (laughs) Put it in a store. Just put it in a store. (laughs) And that will cause sales to follow. So, I mean, despite the fact that there's a lot of bits of this that people just don't understand, I thought we should delve into this a little bit more, like maybe help people understand why you and I as professionals in the industry would not say great music just rises to the top. Yeah. Okay. So I think that the first like and and maybe part of it that you're not even like expecting to talk about on this episode. But one thing that I'm like super aware of is like there's a really big disconnect between how people perceive their music and how the outside world perceives your music. Mm. Everyone thinks that their band is the best band in the world because making music feels good. Mm. Like it, like we are able to express ourselves. We're able to be a version of ourselves that we wish we were able to be more off. I mean, there are so many therapeutic and amazing things about making music that it's really hard to see 
accurately whether or not it's going to be something that can communicate outside of you, you know, like if it's going to be something that people can hear and see themselves in and bring their emotions to and have fun with or identify with culturally, will people feel nostalgically? Like, will will they recognize a tone from records they love from the past? Like, what are people coming to your music to do? I, I think that's a really when people talk about why music is really good or people talk about great bands. They're talking about experiences that they've had with the music. It's not that Tom York just expressed some feelings that he had so well that we were all like, hey, that guy is being himself the best. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So I, and I actually have multiple times thought about pitching this idea to you of like effective songwriting. And like, I don't think for a minute that people should be making music for other people. But if your idea is to make a business where you're creating a product that is useful to other people, you know, I mean, like no one's going around being like, I'm going to make this basket that it perfectly expresses me and like expecting for other people to use some basket if it isn't clearly a basket. Well, or if you say, no, I'm trying to, I'm trying to work with your example here. So it's like, if you make a basket, that's got a huge hole in the bottom and then you get really mad because people won't use it to carry stuff in. Yeah, but you're like, this is my vision for the basket. But this is my vision for the basket. Like, you don't understand. This is my artistic vision, but it's not working for other people. Well, so, like, there's this thing that I see that I think really sums this whole thing up, which is that there are a lot of people making music about believing in themselves as a musician. And, like, that's the main struggle in their lives, and that's what the music is about. And, like, a lot of people are making really self-serving music. And and I understand that there's, like, going to be a component of that if you're writing confessional stuff. But, like, if you're writing sad music... It's important to leave an opening for people to access it, you know, to understand what it's about, to tell a story that people can hear, you know. Definitely. Let's talk about this from the other way around because maybe yeah, yeah, that yeah. would help sure. people understand this. So yeah, yeah, yeah. let's think about pop music, yeah. right? Top 40 music. And I'll go back to my childhood just because that way we're not picking on anyone who's a current artist. Okay. Let's take somebody like, let's say, Taylor Dane. Okay. Does anybody remember Taylor Dane? Tignataro certainly does. Yeah. So, I mean, Taylor Dane is one example. There's a million examples, right? There were some bad songs that were top 40 hits in the 80s when I was growing up, right? Just not that great in terms of not that great songwriting. How about for the sake of everyone, what about Madonna? Because Madonna is a great artist who had some pretty bad songs. Right. Some of her songs were not completely perfect. That's that's a good way to put it. Or Madonna or, I mean, anyone. There's some, I remember, like, I'm a huge Def Leppard fan. Yeah. There were some cuts off of their later albums that really were not up to the early days. But when you think about a top 40 hit, you think about a band that is probably on a major label and they have millions of dollars behind them, especially when they're getting older in their career when they're, let's say, fourth album or whatever. So they've got a lot of money and they've got a huge promotion and marketing team, right? And so that is how you can get a song on the radio with a huge, massive radio budget that isn't necessarily the best song, Mm -hmm. right? And when you start thinking about Top 40 Radio, it is, in fact, all about money. I mean, that's why the indie labels have no access to Top 40 Radio with the exception of the big indies like Big Machine, Taylor Swift's label, obviously. But, you know, the regular indies, we we tend to be shut out of that as a market. But that doesn't mean that independent music wouldn't do well on the radio, as you can see by the fact that we are disproportionately represented on Pandora and Internet radio and alternative and college radio. Like, totally. Clearly. 
It's got nothing to do. In other words, a lot of the music industry has nothing to do with the quality of the music. Mm -hmm. It has to do with money. It has to do with promotions. It has to do with all sorts of other stuff. So if we flip that back around, it's like, okay, the biggest thing I think people need to understand is you have to put yourself in the way of people hearing your music, right? Sure. So it's great if you write a song that you love, and it's great if you write an album that you love. But the first thing you need to do is you need to put it out there in a way so that you can find out if other people, like if it resonates with other people. Now, granted, I feel like every band, like something I've learned is that like every band can get 20 fans, right? So that's like all the parents of every band member, Uh plus the girlfriends or boyfriends, and like two or three other people. Totally. Who are just like, I love it. I'll, you know, I'll come to every show. The people and the drummers, other bands. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Everybody can get like 20 fans. Totally. The question is, can you get more than 20 fans? And we're talking real fans, people who really, you know, are touched by your music and are really interested in your music. Civilians. Civilians. Yeah. <laughs> Strangers. Right? <laughs> yeah. And so we need to see that. And the thing is, you need to do the work to get yourself out there to find those fans. So it's like, that's the first thing that needs to happen. You can't just say I wrote an album because it's like the rest of us are not your mom. You know, you don't get a pat on the back. This is not like white privilege theater where it's just like, oh, good job, Jimmy. You wrote an album. White and privilege I have... theater would be a great name for this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe my next podcast will be I will, white privilege theater. I will, I'll write the thesis. Let's do it. Yeah. But you know not, what I mean? Not for this podcast. I feel like that could be totally misconstrued. Yes, totally. But white privilege theater, I think, is a lot of, a lot of bands. Well, it is, right? Yeah. yeah. Disproportionately white, mostly middle class kids, you know, and they want a trophy for trying. Yeah. But the thing is that you have to do more than try. You have to try in the right way. Totally. I think that that's the the important part. So one thing that I think people think, especially like kind of around press, is like everyone's like, we just need the right bio. We need the right story and stuff. And one thing that I sort of think about is that like, yeah, your bio is your story. But, like, just as much as your bio being the story, the music has to be the story. Who are you working with? That's the story. Where are you from? What are you about? What are your politics? Those are all story components that need to be building something strong that people can latch on to. It all has to be right, you know? Well, and also, in addition to everything being right, you also have to kind of know your audience. Like, you have to have, and I think this goes back to what you said initially, that bands have a hard time figuring out. Like, they know what they feel about their band, but they can't really see it from the outside. Yeah. You know, the bands that I know that do the best have a really clear picture of where they fit mm-hmm. in the sort of pantheons of bands. And most bands will say, oh, I don't sound like anybody. Ah, that's my favorite. Right. Like, like, why not? Well, exactly. We're not all sitting around being like, you know, I really I'd love to listen to an album that feels like nothing I've ever felt before. Yeah, <laughs> you know? Exactly. Like. We want to put on a record because it's raining and we want to do the dishes and, like, get sad about some shit. Or, or, like, we want to put a record on because your friends are coming over and it's Friday night and it's, like, pizza dice time and, like, you're going to feel silly and have fun and put on some jam. You know what I mean? Like, music, we use music for stuff. Right, right, absolutely. You know, if you tell me your music sounds like nothing, you think, you know, I think what's happening is you think that you're saying you're special. Mm-hmm. But you need to know where you fit. And yeah. that doesn't mean that you have to say, oh, there was this band and I sound exactly like we are trying really hard to like reproduce note for note. We want to sound just like granddaddy. So we're going to do that note for note. It's like nobody wants that. And nobody's that's not what no, anyone's looking for. What, what they're looking for is a way to place you quickly. Points of reference. Just points of reference. Yeah. I mean, I remember we went through this with Tao for her first record, Tao yeah. the Get Down, Stay Down, because somebody said she sounded like cat power. And 
she was like, I don't think I sound like cat power. Like, I don't really agree with that. What they mean is like powerful indie rock woman or something. Exactly. That's yeah. probably something like what they meant. Yeah. And I said, yeah. I said, yeah, you're right. You don't. However, it's the thing that's going to give the writers something to hang on to until such time as you're so well established that eventually people will say, this artist sounds, sounds like, like Tao. Tao. Yeah, totally. And of course, now that does happen. Yeah, totally. Right. Totally. So it's like, you just have to kind of go with it. It's like, I know that doesn't feel good to musicians. They want to be special, special. Yeah. But you have to know your audience. And and the reason I say that is because a lot of times it helps you understand like what your options are and also your limitations. Like, yeah. listen, if you're an indie rock band and you are five dudes, I mean, I don't know anything about this, so <laughs> I should shut up. Like five dudes are not my wheelhouse, but whatever. It's like you're, if you're an Let indie me tell rock you band about five dudes. with five dudes, you probably have a lot. You can probably sell more records than a band of like three women playing more alternative kind of underground like punkier the kind of stuff that kill rock stars puts out you yeah. know let's just say yeah you get to go out and be mumford and sons exactly yeah right and even if you're slater kinney there's a ceiling to that totally you get to compete in like underground or intellectual realms right and that's it right i mean slater kinney got the best press of any any band that Kill Rockstars ever put out. Yeah. And still, they had a very clear ceiling. Every album sold about the same amount. My grandma knows who Slater Kenny is. I think that's really cool. And I wonder if she knew about them 20 years ago, if she knows about them now. I think it's just from the NPR circuit. Right, exactly. Yeah. As soon as they became an NPR darling band, then, yeah. then everybody was like, oh, my grandma knows that band. So getting back to sort of this issue of like good music rising to the top, like I can think of a couple of bands in Portland who actually were so good that they did have, I mean, I, the, the two examples in my mind, one of the bands broke up and one of them is doing really well. The first band is Little Star, who's doing really amazing. And I remember when Little Star first started releasing music, it was the kind of thing where everyone in town that I knew who worked in music was like, have you heard Little Star? Like, have you heard them? Because they're so good. And they're not so good because it's the, like, because you've never heard it before. It's so good because you've heard it before and you don't know where and you don't know how they're getting all these sounds that I love that are, like, mixed together in this guttural, vulnerable way. Like, the singer Daniel is, like, he's, I mean, he's a freak. He's so vulnerable on stage and so weird and so, like, but just, like, deeply, like, human and, like, I don't know, humane, you know, like, I feel like I'm saying like a lot. I'm very excited about Little Star. I love that band, you know. And that's the sort of thing where people are drawn to them. And, you know, I predict that they will have an excellent career. Another band that's like that is Blowout that made this arguably kind of bad sounding, like super emo record that everyone who is my age heard and was like, oh, this sounds like everything that I got that like that like heart poundy all ages show feeling to when I was in middle school. You know what I mean? That thing that just like makes you fall in love with music and just want to only do that forever. That's the kind of me. And, and that record got, I think, at, like a pitchfork review and like it was in like stereo. I mean, it was everywhere. The band broke up, unfortunately. Bad decision, I think. But I think maybe good music kind of does rise to the top if it is good in a certain way. Like if it's and the top is very that's a murky thing to say. <laughs> you know what I mean? But Blowout had like 600 likes on Facebook and got a pitchfork review. That's not going to happen for everyone. You need to figure out that one thing that makes it like irresistible, that makes it just move forward. I know that that's like sort of against the thesis of what you're saying, but also they weren't going to anyone and saying you just need to get this out there and make this 
like I'm the magical one. Let this happen. Like if you are that magical band that is going to happen with or without a label, you don't need to ask for it. And for everyone else, if that's not already happening for your band, work harder, be better, write better songs, have a better story and show that you can move records if you want people to work with you, you know. I don't want to be taken that I'm saying that there is not such a thing as great music because there obviously is. Yeah. It's just that there's a lot of work that has to go into it. And exactly what you're saying is it's like no one is going to do this for you. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And the bands that I can think of that got momentum, they got momentum and I found out about them because they were doing it. Yeah. You know, yeah. like everyone was telling you about Little Star in town. Yeah. It's because they were out there doing it. It's not because they were home calling people going, hey. Not going to play shows, not going to tour. Not going to play a show, not, not going to record tour, But can you tell everybody what a great record I've got? Yeah, yeah. It's not going to happen that way. And I think people have to understand that it's no shame to be a hobby band. It's no shame at all. It's absolutely okay. Can I tell you about my hobby band? Tell me. Because I have an immensely fulfilling hobby band. <laughs> You know, I'm my partner and I are parents and we run a business and we're, you know, we're very much not going to go out on tour. We don't expect anyone to invest in us. And we have the ability to sell 500 records when we have records. You know, we get to cheat a little bit because we're publicists. We send stuff out. We know how to kind of do it. We traded for some recording. We're not investing a ton of money in it because we that's not our priority. But like we play shows when we release music. We do it maybe five or six times a year. We don't need help from anyone and we get to play our music and we feel good about it. You know what I mean? And like and we're involved in the music industry. So it's easy for us to have our hobby give us more than we put into it a little bit. And I think that that like when people are visualizing their like trajectory to success, I think that there should be much more focus on this level where you get back more than you're putting in. Because if you have a project like that, like if it's really something that people connect with, it'll give back a little bit to let you know to keep putting stuff in. And if it's not doing that and you've been at it for a couple of years, something needs to change. Right. And that's what I was alluding to in the beginning of this conversation when I said, you know, you have to have more than 20 people like your band. Yeah. You have to actually know that you're connecting with people somehow. Totally. You you know, it's really just not enough to write some songs because yeah. everyone in the music business has written some songs, you know. Yeah. I have written songs, <laughs> many, <laughs> many songs, you know, so it's like, yeah, it's, it's not enough to just do that. And I mean, you know, I feel like it's more interesting to talk about those bands where like you're in a scene and you start to hear about a band and then you hear their music and you're like, oh my God, this yeah. is so amazing. How have I not heard this yet? None of that means that that band is going to go anywhere or do anything because exactly like you said, sometimes they break up. Sometimes they turn out to be bands who never tour and just sort of are big fish in a little pond for Dude, a while. Blowout, Blowout got in Pitchfork. Everyone listening to this will probably never be on Pitchfork. Like, I'll never be on Pitchfork. Pretty much you're not going to be on Pitchfork. Like, I can tell you that confidently as a publicist. It's really hard to get on Pitchfork. It's really, really, really hard. You'll probably never be in Rolling Stone. Even if you, you can have a really killer career and maybe just never be on Pitchfork, maybe never be in Rolling Stone. Okay. Sure. Like Exactly. They were in Pitchfork and they broke up and nothing happened. You know what I mean? Like, and, and it didn't guarantee that they sold a gajillion records. It didn't like, it didn't mean anything. Right. 
And it's been interesting because lately I've been looking at the sound scan for the bands that get best new music on Pitchfork. Yeah. Because 15 years ago or so, it really would sell. I would say getting a best new music on Pitchfork would sell about 40,000 records. Yeah. Like people would actually buy it because of that. And now it's completely different because of the streaming economy. You know, people are much more likely to just go stream it if they think they're interested. Yeah. But they're not, you know, it doesn't translate to sales the way it once did. And that's an important piece of the equation as well. It's, in other words, it's great to get a review in Pitchfork, but like what's next? I mean, I feel like bands need to have a plan. They need to know where they want to go and then work to get there, right? And like you say, if their music is not resonating with people, that's not the fault of other people. Yeah. That has to be your fault, right? You have to so, do okay. something different. Okay. So we're working right now with a band called Listener. They're based in Kansas City. Listener has been a band for 14 years. And it's this genre where it's they like jokingly call it talk music, where it's like sort of like a really like energetic collision of like of like almost slam style poetry, just like really, really intense, like lightning speed stream of thought, super guttural, like very emotional and like something that is sort of like taps its foot into like post hardcore emo kind of stuff. But like rock and roll, you know what I mean? It's this kind of thing where, like, that's not the kind of music that you see on festivals. It's not really the kind of music that there, like, is around. And they've been at it for, you know, for, like I said, 14 years. They sell their own records. They tour the world. And, like, we're working with them because they want press for this record. And they will get press for this record. But their marketing plan is have fans. I think that that's something that like that's something that they have like they've worked for every fan they have. They're making something that speaks to not everyone, but the people who it does speak to are just like they found their their music. You know Absolutely. what I mean? And I, I'm so inspired by that. Like, I don't know if I'm making like a super linear point, but like that's no, a thing that's you can a do. success. That's a success story. But that shows you how you can have success without having a million fans, without being on the top 40 charts, without being whoever you think that you might want to be. And that's something everyone can do if they make it a priority. You can go out and find your people and make music for your people. Or you can stay at home and think that you're making music for everyone or think you're or just make music for yourself and wait around for someone to come and get you all those fans. Like Right, right. But like you said, that band tours. They tour the world. They tour the world. So they've made it a priority. Yeah. You know, and and I'm not saying you can't have a day job and be in a band. You absolutely can. That is a thing you can do. Yeah. But if you choose to go that route, you need to have a plan. You need to know why you're doing what you're doing and you need to be satisfied with what you can get. Totally. Because you have to understand you're never going to have the reach that the bands that spend six months a year in a touring van have. Totally. It's simply a different equation. And yeah. that's fine. That's fine. If you, you know, if you only go out on, on tour two weeks of every year, because that's all you can manage, that's fantastic. Great. Stay in touch with your people, you know, Stay collect email addresses. Make exactly. sure that you like... Have a newsletter. Yeah. Engage on social media. Release music more often because yeah. you can afford to because you have a job. Right. Exactly. Yeah. You can make cool merch that people will like to buy on your tour. Totally. You know, there's all sorts of good stuff you can do. Yeah. I'm just saying have a realistic vision. And I feel like... Part of the problem with the music industry is that we're like the dream factory, just like the movie industry. You know, people think all you have to do is, you know, be pretty and and you can get a, you know, star in some movie. You know, it's like maybe someone will notice me as I walk down the street and they'll be like, you, you're the one. I always remember that story you told about auditioning for Annie. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Was that? I don't don't even know if that maybe that wasn't on this podcast. I think it probably was. Or not on, on, sorry, on the last one that 
But I, I have told that story many times because it's, it's so exactly good. the same. It's like, you know, I just thought, well, I showed up and they're going to be like, you're it. Yeah, you're the one. You, you with the first person in your head, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, it, yeah, it blows my mind, man. Yeah. But I think that's very common in this culture totally. for people to think that that's going to happen. Totally. And I've definitely thought that that was a thing for me. Yeah. I mean, as a much younger person, but like, you know, it's, I think maybe everyone. Yeah. You know, it's a cultural ideal. It's just in our culture. It's yeah. at, in the ether. You know, we believe that in the I'm Lana the Turner in the soda fountain. I don't, I don't know if we're really talking about the thing that we set out to talk about, which is the like best music rising to the top. And in, in, I mean, like, OK, thinking about it in the press, music writers tend to be very underpaid. Publications don't have a ton of resources, especially as they get bought up by bigger like corporations and stuff. There's a lot of pressure to generate traffic. There's a lot of pressure for like a lot of different like a lot of different posts. So they're shorter or for stuff that will be very clickable and interesting. You know, like they're trying to stay alive. And if you give them something where they have to like, I mean, OK, so this is my thought with that Mike Kroll thing. OK, so like Merge puts it out. It's a reissue. Like I didn't see the press release, but like. Reissue looks to me like that's not new music. Maybe it won't get very much traffic. Maybe not something I need to be paying attention to. You know, maybe that's not the strongest story I could be doing today. Like, I don't know if it was pitched as like reissue, but no one ever heard it. This is some like thing we dug up. It's this gold that was lost to time or whatever. Maybe, maybe like a slightly better story, you know, but like if it's not, if there's not a reason why I can easily tell people about this and get people really excited in it. Whether it's the music or, like, the background or the whatever, the, like, ideology or just – you have to be able to easily say this is something I can write about and maybe it'll drive some traffic. So just for anyone who's listening who doesn't understand, this is oh, sorry. a post that Mike Kroll, musician Mike Kroll, posted. He actually posted the email he got from his publicist at Merge Records. It's the press report. And as it says, it's pretty dire. <laughs> And basically, they sent out a press release on on this, and and all the places that they pitched to, basically didn't respond. Yeah. And I think Mike Kroll's comment to this was like, "This is pretty much sums up my experience as a musician." Yeah. And then he made a T-shirt out of it. And and you know, you're a publicist, so you can really speak to this. I mean, how many times do you send stuff out and then you get no response? <laughs> Well, yeah. I mean, also, I think I even think Tiny Mixtapes did wind up doing like a pretty extensive feature. On Eventually. The, yeah. Which like give it. OK. Give it a second before making the T-shirt. Right. 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 Exactly. <laughs> Sometimes it takes a minute. Yeah. But like obviously like Mike Kroll is a cool guy putting out cool music and like people in the know know about it. And like but like in the large scope of things, you know, he's not a super famous guy. I don't think that it's like a huge slap in the face that. New York Times didn't decide to, like, schedule him for an interview. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think that that's, that's, that doesn't strike me as, like, a huge injustice. Like, it would have been cool if they had, but, like... Right. You, you can't expect... Just because you're releasing something doesn't mean that people are going to feel that it's in their best interest to write about it. Right. And my immediate reaction to that was I just felt really bad for the people at Merge. Yeah. That this, <laughs> because, you know, I mean, it, I mean, this is a perfect example of, yeah, you can be on a record label and still not... You know, being on a record label or any of these steps that you take that you think are going to be like the thing that moves you to the next level, it doesn't necessarily work that way, you know, and you can't, you just can't expect that other people are going to make your career happen. Yeah. 
you know, and I'm not saying it's Mike's fault. You know, that's like you said, perhaps a reissue wasn't what people wanted to write about that day or whatever. Maybe it wasn't the strongest story or, you know, who knows? Who knows what was going on? But yeah, it's it's like you just have to you have to be prepared in this world that, you know, you may not get the reaction that you want, but hopefully you'll just either keep going and be like, I'm still really I still really believe in myself and I'm pushing forward and I'm doing all the things I'm supposed to do. Or maybe you'll be like, you know, maybe my music doesn't really resonate with people. Maybe this isn't, you know, maybe I should do that other career that I was thinking about doing and just play music on the weekends. Totally. You know, and there are some people for whom like press is like like a like an avenue that works really, really well. They're easy to write about. They have a really cool story. I don't know why the band Girls is coming to my head from back in the day. Just like, you know, it was like there was just a really good story and everyone just loved it. And it was just that was like a really like that was a smooth path for that band. Everyone picked it up. It was awesome. Or, you know, you could be a band who makes most of your money from licensing or you could be a band who like Listener is just like really good at like, you know, winning hearts one person at a time out in dive bars across the country every night for 10 years. Like, you know, you can have an area of strength. You don't have to have it be everything. But yeah, I mean, but all those things are hard. <laughs> all those things are difficult. Maybe in summation, we can say like great music rises to the top. Like, first of all, you have to think about, well, what is the top? Mm-hmm. And maybe the top is different for every band. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You know, so we're not necessarily talking. I get played 12 times an hour on, you know, commercial radio. Yeah, but maybe you're the sickest band in Portland, which is cool. Exactly. Like, Portland has a great scene. Like, I exactly. want to be the sickest band in Portland. What's Right. What's the top? Yeah. You have to, like, figure that out. Yeah. And then also, I just I feel like it's kind of this uncool value judgment. It's like the best music. Listen, you're going to make the, the music that you make, yeah. right? And if it resonates with people, that's awesome. And if it does resonate with people and people are into it and you're doing what you need to do as a band people are going to get on the train. They're going to come on board. They're going to be like, I want to be a part of this. I'm interested in this. See, and this, I want to just like plant a little seed because I think this is like a really good idea for an episode. I propose that people should be invested in making better music and in giving more of themselves in a way that isn't talking to themselves, but is talking to the world. I think that that's something that like, I don't really know. I'm not like an amazing songwriter, but I think you probably know some really amazing songwriters who could totally talk about that a lot. Yeah, that's an interesting idea. But then, I mean, that opens the whole other can of worms, which is, you know, is it really genuine if you're actually thinking about your audience that you're writing to? Because I feel like people have that whole narrative, too. Yeah. Where it's like, it's not genuine if I change this note because someone t- tells me I like this better. Or, you know, I know my fans really like my Mopey songs, so I'm going to write a whole album of Mopey songs, even though I'm full of joy right now because well, I want to appeal to my fans. I mean, that brings up the question is like, is your authentic self really a star? Does your authentic self really have something to give that the whole world wants to hear? And is it more important to be authentic or is it more important to give the world what it wants to hear? But but I would say that the greatest songwriters, like you project authenticity and there's a, there's a way to be authentic without only talking to yourself in the mirror, I think. And also it goes back to that notion of what's the top, right? Totally. So it's like it depends on your top. If you're like I am absolutely only going to write authentic songs that mean something to me. Maybe you have a different top than someone who's like, you know something? I'm willing to adjust my songwriting based on where I want to get to. Okay. I'm like obsessed with Listener right now. I don't know if you know this. <laughs> but like they're an example of a band where like Listener does not belong on commercial radio whatsoever. The songs are very long and very heady and sometimes they don't have chords. Like they're very like it's very specific and not for everyone. 
but they are the biggest band in the world to to people who are ready for that you know yeah and and Good like point. even a small section of music fans is still potentially a giant group of people right totally true yeah well on that note sierra hager thank you so much for being with us today on the future of what thanks for having me big fan Did you like what you heard? Then subscribe to The Future of What on iTunes. And thanks for listening. That was Vampire by Wimps.